Hey everybody, I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us all become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, we explore the practice of Christian colleges granting honorary degrees and one of the largest churches in the AME, African Methodist Episcopal denomination, is facing a financial scandal. We'll also have news about new church construction. It's at historic low levels. We begin today with news from Orlando, Florida. The Holy Land Experience, a Christian-based theme park in Orlando, Florida, has been purchased by a Seventh-day Adventist healthcare company. Yeah, Trinity Broadcasting Network, the park's owner since 2007, sold the roughly 15-acre museum and tourist attraction to Adventist Health System. Uh, the healthcare company, also known as Advent Health, was founded by the Seventh-day Adventist Church to extend the healing ministry of Christ. At least that's what it says in its IRS filings. The Holy Land Experience, three and a half miles up the road from Universal Studios in Florida, was struggling even before it closed its doors on March 14, 2020, in response to the spread of COVID-19. It had remained closed since then, reopening just briefly in April 2021, when the park welcomed visitors for two free admission days at the park. Yeah, it's been sort of a troubled property for years. In fact, when in 2007, when Trinity Broadcasting Network purchased the park from its original owners, it reportedly had about $8 million in debt. Uh, management experimented with a variety of attractions that they hoped would entice more visitors and bulk up the revenue there, including a biblical-themed mini golf course, uh, which, by the way, was called Trinity. Uh, tea, get it? Tea, like teeing off as a... As Unbelievable. A, yeah, well, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, that opened in 2015. Um, it's nine holes of golf took players through Noah's Ark and Jonah's Whale. And all that ended in January 2020. Yeah, at the beginning of 2020, Trinity Broadcasting Network announced that the park would uh, focus on displaying biblical artifacts and education and cease live performances and reenactments. And in February, the park laid off 118 employees as part of that change in direction. Uh, the Orlando Sentinel reported that the park was on the market, really going all the way back to February of 2020. The sale to Advent was actually announced a little earlier this year and closed just last week for $32 million, uh, which was less than the $37 million that uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network paid for the attraction back in 2007. Local news outlets report that Trinity Advent uh, will repurpose the site to a health care facility. And by the way, Natasha, I should add that uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network, uh, in spite of this sale at a loss, uh, has more than a billion dollars in assets. The sale appears to be part of kind of a huge restructuring that TBN is in the middle of right now, which includes moving its headquarters out of California to Texas. We've written about this reorganization in the past. In fact, it was back in June, and you can see that story 
by going to our website and typing Trinity Broadcasting Network into our search engine. Our next story highlights the fact that the Holy Land experience is not alone in facing fallout from COVID. Yeah, spending on the construction of new church buildings around the country actually hit a record low in June as the pandemic and changing demographics continued to change how and where people worship. The annualized religious facility building rate was $3 billion during the month of June, and that represented a 66% decline from the $8.8 billion record high that we saw in August of 2003. Uh, Census data includes houses of worship in that number, uh, which uh, might include churches, but also mosques, synagogues, and temples. It excludes, though, other types of buildings that might be owned by religious groups, such as schools and hospitals. Now, these numbers are particularly telling when you know that construction on amusement and recreation facilities grew 42% over the same period. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in fact, construction has kind of been going crazy everywhere. Uh, according to church experts uh, we've um, that we've reached out to for this and other similar stories that we've done, one of the things that we're seeing right now is that a lot of new churches are using uh, the buildings of old church congregations whose membership has declined. So I guess that means that churches should be getting bonus points for uh, recycling. Um, but the net effect, according to the data that we've reported on in the past, is that there are fewer churches today. Churches are closing faster than they're being planted. And that may be the first time in American history that this has happened. Warren, our next story explores the phenomenon of awarding honorary degrees. That practice has been widespread in Christian colleges, despite some ethical concerns. Yeah, that's right. Uh, two weeks ago, our friends over at the Roy's Report found that Pennsylvania's Lancaster Bible College uh, had awarded honorary degrees to its own trustees since 2014, despite state regulations in Pennsylvania that discouraged the practice. So I asked one of our reporters, Shannon Cuthrell, to look into the practice of awarding honorary degrees. What did she discover? Well, for one thing, she discovered that Lancaster Bible College is not alone. It joins many other Christian institutions in a long-standing tradition of granting unearned academic titles to board members, to prominent donors, alumni, politicians, cultural figures, and even business leaders. But some people who get these honorary degrees misrepresent such titles as legitimate academic credentials, or they fail to disclose the honorary nature of their degrees. Yeah, one of the more prominent cases of what we might call credential padding involved the late uh, Ravi Zacharias, who is uh, now, of course, posthumously facing other ethical charges as well, including multiple allegations of sexual abuse and a new class action lawsuit against the organization. Uh, but before his death last year, uh, Zacharias had been awarded several honorary doctorates and was often referred to as Dr. Zacharias by his own organization, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, without the disclosing the nature of the degrees. Uh, I should add that in the aftermath of the sex scandal, both McMaster University and Tyndale University have now rescinded Ravi Zacharias honorary degrees. Ravi Zacharias is far from the only ministry leader to regard the honor as a legitimate academic qualification. 
Yeah, in fact, there's a website called Dust Off the Bible that is kind of devoted to this dubious practice. It's compiled a list of more than 80 prominent pastors and teachers who have been granted honorary degrees. They include a lot of prosperity gospel preachers such as Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Andrew Womack, but they also have people on the list like David Jeremiah and David Barton. Now, Warren, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with receiving an honorary degree, is there? No, there's absolutely not anything wrong with receiving the degree. Uh, The problem comes when the recipients start using the title in their biographies without noting that the degree is not earned. And we should note that secular colleges grant honorary degrees as well. Yeah, Southern Methodist University, for example, which uh, though it has the word Methodist in its title, uh, has uh, and it does have Methodist roots, is not exactly what you'd call a Christian college today, has granted more than 280 honorary degrees over the course of the past century. In fact, Harvard University, what some people would consider to be one of the most distinguished colleges in the country, has given away thousands of honorary degrees dating all the way back to the 17th century. And here's one for you, Natasha, Kermit the Frog, you know, of Sesame Street fame. Mm-hmm. Well, He got an honorary degree from Southampton University in 1996. But if anything, Kermit's degree only highlights uh, that these honorary degrees should not be used as an indication of academic achievement or to enhance anyone's academic credibility. And Christian colleges do seem to lead the way in this practice. Yeah, they do. Um, Wheaton College in Illinois, for example, has granted more than 150 honorary degrees uh, just since 1953. In 2019, uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago gave an honorary Doctor of Divinity degree to one of its employees, its senior vice president for media, Greg Thornton. I should also add, though, that there are some colleges that don't like the practice at all. Stanford University does not grant honorary degrees, and Cornell University has given only two honorary degrees in its history, and both of those were in 1886, nearly a century and a half ago. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, the AME denomination is the latest church body to be rocked by scandal. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Let's continue with the story we promised before the break. The governing board of the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Baltimore has removed the head pastor after he allegedly failed to complete his annual financial audit on time. 
Yeah, the majority of the board of Empowerment Temple, that's the name of the church, voted last week to remove Pastor G.J. Barnes III immediately. That's according to a report that we saw in the Baltimore Sun after he failed to provide documents required by the church's mortgage lender, putting Empowerment actually now in danger of foreclosure. The audit uh, was also completed late last year as well, causing the church to incur fines. Uh, Empowerment officials said that Barnes has locked them out of the church's online giving and social media accounts and that they were forced to create a new Facebook page because theirs had been compromised. Church officials have also asked members to donate only in person or via mail and not online until this situation is resolved. Warren, we don't often report on the AME Church, so what can you tell us about it? Well, it's a pretty good-sized denomination, as a matter of fact. It has more than 2 million members uh, in the United States. Uh, some reports say up to 3 to 3.5 three million members. And Empowerment Church, the church that we're talking about here, has 4,000 members. So it's one of the largest churches in the denomination and makes it probably one of the larger churches in the country, certainly falls into that megachurch category. The church is... Um, uh, at least the denomination, AME Church, is kind of all over the board theologically, at least it is today, but many individual churches are biblically sound and evangelical and have been faithful witnesses to the gospel for more than 200 years. Now, Warren, unfortunately, we have another story of sexual abuse this week, several of them, in fact. Yeah, a former New York church choir director and teacher has been charged in a third sexual abuse case that dates all the way back to the 1970s. The lawsuit was filed, though, this week in New York State Supreme Court, and it alleges that A. Ronald Johnson had unpermitted sexual contact with a then 13-year-old student uh, between the years of 1979 and 81. Uh, when Johnson was head of the choir at Lowville, United Methodist Church and had authority over both adults and children. He was also a teacher at Lowville High School, where the plaintiff was a student at the time. And a former youth pastor in Pennsylvania is charged with multiple counts of sex crimes against minors, including child pornography and sexual assault. Yeah, Mark William Holtzler, uh, 29 years old, uh, served as a youth pastor at Grace Chapel Community Church in Hermitage, Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Pittsburgh from 2014 to 2019. He left that job for a different church in um, South Central Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania State Police last week uh, charged Hotzler with digitally photographing children, performing sex acts, child pornography, criminal solicitation to digitally photograph children, dissemination of these images, uh, unlawful contact. I mean, a whole range of offenses. Most of the kids were, all of the kids were under 18, and uh, some of them were younger than 16. At least 10 children were involved. Uh, the crimes are believed to have occurred at Hoaxler's home. Wow. Warren, let me pause you there, because to be honest, these are not the only two stories about sexual abuse we have on the website this week. There's also a story about an Illinois woman who has accused her pastor of sexual assault and a group called... People of Promise acknowledged their failure to properly investigate sexual assault uh, complaints. So why do you think it's so important to keep telling these stories? 
Well, it's a great question. And in fact, I've got to say, Natasha, almost every time we publish stories like this, I do get emails from people saying some version of please stop enough. Um, That's why back in May, uh, I published an article called Why Ministry Watch Reports on Sex Crimes. Uh, We'll feature that story on the front page of our website this week. And I really recommend that our listeners check it out. Uh, But the bottom line is that we believe the Bible teaches uh, that the truth will set us free. Uh, That principle informs most of the decisions that we make here at Ministry Watch to report or not report a particular story. Um, I will admit, though, that there are other considerations, such as privacy of the victims, but on the other side of that coin, there's also the empowerment of victims. Having their stories told sometimes can be really important and a part of their healing. So I guess what I'm really trying to say is that we really try to look after the best interests of victims and ask the question, will it prevent others from being victimized in the future? The article goes into detail on all of these topics, and you can find it, as I said, right on the front page of our website, and we'll keep it there for the next few days uh, just so people can take a look at it. Well, thank you. Warren, we have to take a quick break, but when we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, the senior pastor of uh, an influential Chicago megachurch has tested positive for COVID-19. Dave Dummett was supposed to preach this weekend at uh, Willow Creek Community Church, but had to bow out after receiving a positive COVID test on Saturday, um, citing privacy concerns. The church wouldn't confirm whether Dummett had been vaccinated or not. Now, you might think, what's the big deal about a single pastor of one church testing positive for COVID? But the truth is that Dummett is kind of a big deal, I guess you could say, in the evangelical world these days. Uh, He um, just spoke at Willow Creek's Global Leadership Summit, which was held August 4th and 5th. Uh, He attended the summit's uh, South Barrington campus uh, gathering there. Uh, Tom DeVries, who's the president of the Global Leadership Network, which is what the Global Leadership Summit is all about, uh, told Religion News Service that Willow Creek had informed him of Dummett's positive test, and uh, DeVries said that the Global Leadership Network was now doing contact tracing and informing people who had been in close contact with Dummett of the positive test. 
And you have an update on the Boy Scout story. Yeah, we've been covering this story about the Boy Scouts of America for really a couple of years now, in part because so many churches are involved, and there is a possibility that um, the victims might uh, try to sue some of the churches as, who are partners. But the latest news is this, that attorneys for the Boy Scouts of America ha- are asking a Delaware judge to approve the $850 million agreement that is the foundation of the Boy Scouts' plan to emerge from bankruptcy. The judge was supposed to begin hearing uh, those arguments on Thursday, uh, which is today, as Natasha, you and I are recording this. Uh, it involves the National Boy Scout organizations and roughly 250 local Boy Scout councils putting money into a big pot for the 70,000 victims who claim that they were molested as youngsters by Scoutmasters and others. Now, the Boy Scouts sought bankruptcy protection last year uh, amid the onslaught of all of these lawsuits. Uh, This filing uh, is part of an attempt to reach sort of a global resolution of these abuse claims. Uh, The Boy Scouts have proposed putting about $250 million in cash and property into the fund. The local councils will contribute about $600 million, and uh, the national organization and councils would transfer all of their insurance policies to the victims' fund as well. That would be uh, hundreds of millions of dollars more. The bottom line is that this settlement would easily be in the billions of dollars. Uh, this is obviously an ongoing story. The um, the most recent filings were done just this week, so we'll post updates on the website as they occur. And to reiterate, one of the reasons that we're covering this Boy Scout story uh, so closely is that churches over the years have hosted Boy Scout troops and cup packs, and they could yet still be drawn into the settlement talks or to future lawsuits. So, of course, stay tuned. And who is in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, the ministry that we are spotlighting is Life Issues Institute. It's led by my friend Brad Mattis, who's been a longtime activist in the pro-life movement. They merged into the Susan B. Anthony list a couple of years ago. And uh, to take a deep dive into the financials of both groups, you can go uh, to the Ministry Watch website and you can find the Life Issues Institute profile right on the front page. Any housekeeping items before we go? Well, we do. We have a couple that I'd like to share with you. First, a reminder that my book, Faith-Based Fraud, is now available at audible.com. And Natasha, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to mention that you have a book out as well. You co-wrote that book with uh, my daughter, Brittany Smith. Um, What's the name of that book? Tell us about it. It's called Unplanned Grace, A Compassionate Conversation on Life and Choice. So it also is about the pro-life conversation and how we can meet women where they are at and offer them hope. Well, it's a great concept, a great book. I've obviously already read it. So I just congratulations on the book. And uh, it's available September 1st. So I didn't want the show to go by without at least mentioning that. And we'll mention it again in the future so you guys can get the book. Uh, finally, a reminder, to, of course, to support your local church first, your favorite and carefully researched ministry second. But if you have a bit extra and you want to make a contribution to Ministry Watch, we would, of course, be grateful. And during the month of August, you'll receive as our thank you gift a one-year subscription to World Magazine. That's a digital and a print subscription. To make a gift to Ministry Watch, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button 
at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosalind, Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Adele M. Banks, Steve Raby, Bob Smetania, Shannon Cuthrell, Renee Roden, and Ann Stike. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. Thank you.